0: Well, if you will uh, open your Bibles to the Old Testament, we're in Zechariah chapter 1 again this evening, and I'll go ahead and give you uh, something of a forewarning. I was telling Pastor Don before the service, I, the more I've studied chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, that call to repentance ties in perfectly uh, to the first vision of Zechariah in, in verses 7 through 17, this promise of the presence of the Lord and then it seems as if that first vision ties so intimately into the second vision found for us in 18 verses 18 through 21 of Zechariah 1 where we see maybe even what what some commentators call the second half of the first vision Actually, many commentators and, and pastors that I've listened to preach through Zechariah and those commentaries that I've read through Zechariah, most of them actually handle all of chapter 1 in one chapter or in one sermon. Because it has very clearly before us this promise of the presence of the Lord in mercy and grace for those who will repent in verses 7-17. Seven through 17. And then in verses 18-21, through 21, we have those who will not return to the Lord. And the promises of the gospel are sure for them, just as so for those who repent. And let, me under, let me kind of re emphasize what I mean there. The gospel promises, the Lord's promises, have both the positive blessings for those who will repent and then the negative judgments for those who will not. And, and so, what we have here in these first two visions of Zechariah, all within chapter 1, is this call to repent. This call to return to me, and I'll return to you. Remember, it's a promise that's declared for us in verses 1 through 6. Then in verses 7 through 17, we have, for those who repent, a return of the Lord. And then in verses 18 through 21, we have what we would call maybe a pattern of God's judgment upon those who will not. John Calvin so rightly says in the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 1, part 1 and 2, that we have a doctrine of heaven and hell, that we have the eternal visions of victory for God's people and damnation for those who stand against it. And so with that in mind, I want to read all of chapter 1 in its entirety so that we can have a full grasp of what we have before us, a full scope of the call to repentance, the blessing for those who will repent, and then the judgment for those who won't. And I've called this sermon Scattering, and regathering. and I use that language from Matthew chapter 13. And let me read just a, a three or four verses from Matthew chapter 13 before we read Zechariah chapter 1. Remember, this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, "...the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, and the weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil." The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send angels and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let those who have ears hear. Well that's what's before us. The promise Of the coming kingdom of Zion will contain no evil or evildoers. And so we have the people of God rising in victory, but those who are of the devil being destroyed. That's the two visions in Zechariah chapter 1. And so with all that in mind, let us indeed hear the word of God. Ye who have ears, let him hear. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying... The Lord was very angry with your fathers, therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts. Now I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I command my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Barakai, son of Edo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen. And behind me were red, sorrel, and white horses. And then I said, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house should be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, What are these coming to do? And he said, These are the horns, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Well, one of the things that I might need to clarify for you a little bit, or maybe even unpack for you a little bit is the fact that the Gospel promises both victory for God's people and the judgment and wrath for those who are enemies of God. Now, you might uh, say, well, Matt, that is not the Gospel, that the Lord promises mercy and grace for those who belong to Him and judgment for those who do not. But we must understand just as Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 13, that the Gospel declares to us that there will be no evil nor evildoers in the kingdom of God. And that is a grace and a mercy to God's people. For what would Zion be? What would heaven be if there was evil and evildoers that remain? What would victory be? If evil, sin, and the devil would continue to reign or to even live apart from the judgment of God. See, the Gospel carries for us, yes, a message of repentance, but the Gospel carries for us a victory that is sure. A victory over our enemies. A victory over the evil one, the devil himself. Victory over the dominions and the principalities of darkness. And so as the call to repentance in verses 1 through 6 cries out amongst those who are at a ease in the city of Jerusalem, there is promises that are declared for those who will repent, and there are promises for those who will, who will not, who will remain at ease, seeking to do the very opposite thing in which the Lord has asked them to do. And so we have to think for a minute when we think about repentance, we must think for a minute how how good repentance actually is for the people of God. Repentance always carries a promise of blessing. I actually, think that Zechariah chapter 1 verses 1 through 6 gives us that grand promise. And it it's been preached for the past 2 weeks by Pastor Don and myself that as we return to the Lord in faith and repentance, He promises in mercy and grace to return to us. And that is, that is spelled out for us. Maybe we might even say illustrated for us. There as we see the angel of the Lord, Jesus Himself, as we discovered last week, standing among the myrtle trees. You remember as we handled the first vision of Zechariah chapter 1, we talked about how this was somewhat of a a Eden restored. That as the people of God heard the cries of Zechariah the prophet on behalf of the Lord, as they heard this call to repentance, the promises that had been declared with this with this call to repentance was being unfolded before their eyes. Here is God restoring Eden again. Yes, here in the historical context in the reconstruction of the temple in Jerusalem, showing that His presence would now again come to the holy city of God. But ultimately, through the Lord Jesus Christ, He would give us an even better Eden, we said. A new Eden, a new heaven, a new earth, a new creation, where we will dwell with Him, not in just the cool of the day, but both morning and night, reigning forever with our Lord and Savior Jesus, so that we might have unhindered fellowship with Him. And so as the Lord Jesus Christ stands in the midst of the myrtle trees in this first vision. As he hears the reports even from this angel army it seems that all is at rest within the world. We, we have this picture of the coming Zion. We have this picture of eternity with our God where, where all things are indeed at rest. There is no more uprising against the people of God. There is no more raging war or waging war against sin. There is no more principalities of wickedness that seek to tempt us to despair. Even the the devil himself, Satan himself, is is mercifully for the people of God destroyed. And so we have this return to me and I will return to you. It's this doctrine of repentance. And last week we mentioned the prophet Isaiah and I think that the the beauties of, of repentance is clearly displayed for us in Isaiah chapter 6. We know something of that that text, I hope, um, that we we understand that as as Isaiah sees the heavens opened, and he sees the one sitting upon the throne, and he sees the majesty of the Lord seated upon the throne on high, the, the train of His robe filling the temple, immediately the response of Isaiah is what? Woe is me! For I am unclean, and I dwell among a people of, of unclean lips. It, it, it's, it's so much of a picture of, of God's holiness in Isaiah chapter 6, and, and Isaiah's sinfulness and unworthiness to be in the presence of God. He doesn't know how to even stop repenting, it seems. Not only am I a man of unclean lips, but I live amongst a world, a people of unclean lips. And the beauty of the Gospel is that the Lord Himself, sitting upon the throne, sends an angel. It says, an angel flew to me and he had fire in his hands. You, you, you remember that picture, if, if you know the scene that I'm talking of in Isaiah 6. He takes tongs and he takes a burning piece of coal and he goes and he touches Isaiah's lips, showing us the purification The purification of God's grace and mercy for those who will declare that they are woefully, woefully undeserving to be in the presence of the Lord. And even that that burning coal shows us that there is a painstaking cost. There's a painstaking cost of our salvation and of course... The cost of repentance is the death of Christ, that all of our sins, past, present, and future, might be laid upon Him on the cross of Calvary, so that when we come confessing and believing, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have this substitutionary atonement of Jesus there upon the cross of Calvary, where the promises of the Gospel are sure that all of those who will return to Me I will then return to you. There will be no more separation between God and man through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. As we come in repentance, he will meet us with, with grace and with mercy. That's clearly on display for us in Zechariah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. But what about those who will not return? You, you kind of notice the language that is before us, even in that first vision. We look at verses 14 and 15 where the Lord says, I'm exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. He's saying, I'm exceedingly jealous for my people. So much so that I am exceedingly angry with the nations who are at ease. You see, to understand the biblical God, we must understand that there is a jealous nature of our God that He would do whatever the cost... That he would give up his even his only begotten son so that he might ransom his people for himself. But there is an exceedingly anger, an exceeding anger of God, who will then judge those who are at ease. Remember the the call to repentance in verses 1 through 6. The words of the prophets, the words of the prophets overthrew or, or over take in, in verse 6 it says which uh, i commanded my servants the prophets did they not overtake your fathers this this overtaking is is almost comparative to to the idea of driving out down i-95 and, and you're speeding down the interstate and 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 all of a sudden in one of those median little dirt roads you see the highway patrolman and and you look in your rearview mirror when you pass by going 80 85 and and you see him pull out and his blue lights come on and, and and the car pulls up in behind you and you pull over on the side of the road and and if you've ever noticed the the highway patrol car sits at a at the angle so that he can can come to your window and, and give you the judgment that you deserve for your iniquity your your trespass, your breaking of the law. That, that's the picture almost. Did not the words of the prophets overtake your fathers? They lived in sin and they faced the judgment of God. And, and now what we see here is that that—that in verses 18 through, 18 through the end of the chapter, verse 21, we have this, this call, this vision... For those who have not repented of the sins of their fathers. For those who have remained at ease. For those who uh, are now under the exceeding anger of God. Even in verse 15 it says, For a while I was angry but a little, but they furthered the disaster. How did they further the disaster? By their continued unbelief by their continued rejection, by their continued disobedience. I've been reading through uh, St. Augustine of Hippos, The City of God. It's a, a lengthy work. I've been off and on reading it through uh, out this year. I've been trying to read a, a huge volume throughout uh, each year for the past couple of years. And so this year I decided I would tackle The City of God. And uh, I was really good at reading as I ought in the beginning of the year. And then I fell off. A little bit. Now I've jumped back in, and and in it, St. Augustine gives us a a teaching. He gives us his understanding on the doctrine of hell. And, And that's what I'm reading right now, and it ties so perfectly into this because it says, both body and soul face torment forever. There's no relief. And at the same time, Augustine says that there's no place the sinner rather be. And that caught me off guard at first. I said, wait a second. Don't they, at the end of time, bow before the Lord and confess Him as king? Yes. And then, at the same time, don't they recognize God for who He is? Holy, majestic, good, yes. And yet, verses like this, here in the end of verse 15, and they furthered the disaster. Augustine even references this particular verse that says... Yes, they know who He is, but even throughout all eternity, they despise and reject Him. They are eternally deserving of the wrath and the judgment. And that's something that is declared for us. These these promises are declared for us in verse 6. Because we have a timeless truth that we ought to cling to, even as we understand these first two visions. Because the Lord of hosts, He says there in 5 and 6, My statutes which I commanded, they're unlike the words of your fathers. They're unlike the words that they believe, the lies that they believe. My word is eternally true. And you notice even in the repentance of the people of God here in Jerusalem in Zechariah 1 verses 1 through 6, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us, As He had determined to deal with us in grace and mercy, so He has dealt with us. And so we have this doctrine, really, that's before us that that our God purposes to meet His people with grace and mercy and victory. But for those who are against Him, His threats are never idle. His his promises are, are always... True. Yes, the Word of God presents to us this call to repentance and mercy and His presence for those who will repent, but also at the same time, it gives us a warning of coming destruction for those who will not. It's almost as if Zechariah is telling us in these first two visions that we can be sure of this. God keeps His promises. He will bring victory to those who repent, and He will bring wrath and judgment to those who will not. You know, the Lord has promised, as we referenced even last week in Isaiah fifty-five thirteen, 13, that there will be a time where the thorn bush will grow, and the thorn bush will grow up into a pine tree, and the briars will grow up into the myrtle tree. He says that Eden... Will be restored, there will be a time in which God's people will dwell in His presence forever. And yet, for those who rise up against, that are represented here with these four horns in verses 18 through 21, they will be under the eternal torment of a wrathful God. And so we see a pattern of God's penalty. A pattern of God's penalty here in the second vision as it ties so intimately together with the first vision. which together, they tie so intimately together with this call to repentance. And so we see this second vision in Zechariah saying, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And in verse 19, I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, Israel. And Jerusalem. And so we have to understand that these horns represent the enemies of God and His people. These four horns are something like the vision of Daniel 2 and 7. That they are, are actually nations who have lifted up their hand against the land of Judah, lifted up their hand against the city of Jerusalem to scatter the people of God. But unlike Daniel 2 and 7, we are not to take literal historic kingdoms to be represented by these four horns. You remember in Daniel chapter 2 and 7, as we journeyed through that great book a year or two ago, we knew that the the first kingdom was Babylon, where King Nebuchadnezzar reigned. And less than 90 years later, the next kingdom, Medo-Persia, Came into power, but it eventually falls. And then next was Greece, the great superpower, and Alexander the Great reigned there. And, and yet, 270 years later, his kingdom is ushered off of the stage. And then there's Rome, this, this great but, but violent kingdom. In Daniel's visions, it, it smashes all the other kingdoms, and yet, 500 years later, The stone comes, you remember. The Son of Man comes and He triumphs over all of these earthly historic kingdoms. In in the prophecies of Daniel, it seems as if a historic play-by-play or an historic timeline is unfolding before our eyes and we can actually trace it through a literal history of the world, these rising and fallings under the sovereign hand of an almighty God who reigns forever. But here, these four horns are are better represented as north, south, east, and west. It's all the directions of the map. It's from every direction in which opposition and oppression comes to scatter God's people. And, And if you think about it, it's really the same message in essence of Daniel. That these earthly kingdoms rise and fall, but God's kingdom remains forever. In the same way, in this vision of the horns and the craftsmen in Zechariah 1, 18-21, you have from east, west, north, and south, all of these kingdoms piling on against God's kingdom and God's people, and yet they are not victorious. The kingdom of God is the one that prevails. And how is it that we are to read about these four horns or to understand these four horns? What the picture is, that's before us in Zechariah's vision, is that... Every effort of Satan and the princes of this world as they seek to overthrow the kingdom of God, their their efforts are absolutely in vain. Zechariah tells us that they're in vain because of these four craftsmen. If you look at verse 20, then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, what are these coming to do? And he says, these are the horns that have scattered Judah so that no one raised a head. And these have come, talking about the craftsmen, to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations. Well, well, you have to kind of put yourself, right, in the, in the shoes in the shoes of this audience that Zechariah is talking to because, remember, the, the sin in which they were guilty of is they were at ease. And, and Zechariah in his first vision has said, you need to repent and you need to get back to work. You need to start rebuilding the temple. You need to start working, start laboring. And Nehemiah chapter 4 tells us that as they were laboring, and we read it this morning, as these craftsmen were rebuilding, he said the people knew that all around them, north, south, east, and west, these people all around them were, were in such opposition to their work that they had tools in one hand and swords in the other. They lived in absolute fear. That's the picture that's being painted for us in Nehemiah chapter 4. As they worked, they were also fearful of their enemy. But these craftsmen that come, they are unlike the craftsmen of Jerusalem. They're craftsmen of the heavenly city of Zion. And they are not terrified by the forts of the evil one. They are not terrified by the schemes of the devil. In fact, he says, in this vision, is such a role reversal for us that these craftsmen that come down from heaven, they terrify the schemes of the evil one. And as I read that, I'm reminded of of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And every time He comes into the presence of an evil spirit, a demon, what happens immediately? The demon begins to shake in fear. The demon begins to plead for its life. The demon knows Who Jesus is and knows that Jesus has authority over him. Knows that Jesus can destroy him with a a simple word of his mouth. And so, these four horns, they seem scary. They seem like they should strike fear into your bones, it might seem. But then as the craftsmen come, it's not the people of God shaking in their boots. It is actually the four horns. It's the principalities of wickedness. It's the dominion of evil. It's Satan himself knowing that he is subservient. He is submissive to. He will be destroyed by the Almighty God. You see, it it, it ties right in. This vision ties right in to the covenant that was made with Abraham. All the way back in Genesis 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And for those who curse you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, my people shall be blessed. You see what the the second vision here in Zechariah chapter 1 is declaring to God's enemies, it's never safe to oppose the church of Jesus Christ. Those who oppose the church of Jesus Christ will be destroyed. Their plotting, their attempts will be in vain. I know that I'm short on time, but if you'll leave your finger at Zechariah chapter 1 and, and flip over to Psalm 2. I know I reference this often as I think about the thwarts of the devil and the dominion of darkness that is surrounding us even today. Because in Psalm 2, we have this question. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His his wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Do you understand what the psalmist is declaring here? Why do the nations rage? Why do they plot in vain? What are they plotting to do? Verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart. Martin Luther said the plot is to try to separate Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their plotting is in vain. John Calvin says it's a, 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 an attempt, a plotting to separate Christ from his church. Either way, you take that, their plotting is in vain. And then he says not only do they want to separate God from his church or God from himself, but they want to cast themselves away from the cords. They want to separate themselves from God's authority over them. But verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens chuckles, and the Lord holds them in derision, and in His what wrath and fury He says to them, I have set my king. I have set my son on Zion, my holy hill. You see the warning of Psalm 2, the warning of, of Zechariah 1, if we flip back there in verses 18 through. 21 is that it is never safe to oppose the church of Jesus Christ or stand against the kingdom that he is building. In fact, the principalities of darkness, Satan himself, even though they plot against him, the Almighty God laughs at their attempts and then, in his fury and wrath, says, You will bow a knee to my son, you will bow a knee to my king. And doesn't that tie us right back into the first vision where Jesus Christ Himself begins to pray in intercession in verse 12. O Lord of hosts, how long? How long? You know, one of the things that we need to know is that this day of the Lord, this day of the Lord which will be pleasant and joyful for His people, but will be shameful and, and judgmental towards those who are His enemies, that day is coming. Just as we said last week, the, the Father cannot help but to hear the prayers of His Son. And as Jesus Christ says here in Zechariah 1, how long? As He says in John chapter 17, how long? As He sits at the right hand of the Father of Heaven and says, how long? The Father will one day soon tell the Son to go and get My people and raise them up to victory. And beloved, don't misunderstand, or don't miss the second part of our victory. It's that our enemies will also become our footstool. You see, as John sees the heavens opened in Revelation, he sees Christ and His people reigning on Mount Zion as we are co-heirs with Jesus, as Jesus is our elder brother and the throne is His, the promises of the Gospel for us who believe, who us will have faith and repentance, is, His throne is now our throne. We will reign in heaven with Him. We'll receive crowns of righteousness. We will receive crowns of glory. And just as the enemies of Jesus Christ will be His footstool, they will also be our footstool as well. And in the historic context, of course, this is the message that we should not be weary or fearful, for the victory is sure, you will rebuild Jerusalem, you will rebuild the temple, but this historic temple will one day be thrown over again, will be devastated again, but Mount Zion, in which we will reign, will always reign forever. And just so as we ended with Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. We need to close this night with John sixteen thirty three. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus' overcoming of the world is also your overcoming of all of our enemies that will be held in derision by our holy God as he lifts us up in grace and mercy to eternal victory. Take heart, believers. Our Lord remains on his throne and will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this, your word. And we pray, Lord, that it would spur us on to continue on uh, laboring well and faithfully for the kingdom of God. Yes, our enemies seem powerful these four horns and this second vision of Zechariah 1 sure do seem scary. And yet, it is not us who should shudder in fear. It is our enemies who will be destroyed. Yes, they plot against Christ and His church. Yes, they plot against our God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the Lord who sits in the heavens laughs. And one day, as the King reigns upon His throne, all of His enemies, all of our enemies, will be the eternal footstool of our King. And so, Father, as Jesus Christ asks how long will we have to wait for that day, we ask the same. How long? How long, O Lord, will we wait until You return uh, in victory with us and for us? We long for that day. We pray these things in Christ Jesus. Amen.